first thing off the plane, as I say, we bump into the police, <laughs> the policeman. Right. That's that's it. And I was terrified waiting in line for immigration because I was expecting it to be, you know, strip searched and for everything to be taken <laughs> and thrown away. And I after all, I'd heard on the papers and uh, sorry, I heard on the TV and read in the papers that when you go there, they look through your phone and check your social media and all that kind of thing. It took me less time to get through the the Chinese immigration than it did on the way home to get through Manchester. I went into China with one hand on my wallet, one hand on my mobile phone, and was looking (laughs) for, okay, what's happening? Either the police are going to come arrest me or there's going to be some crook, you know, because I... I had seen some of our friend um, Serpenza's videos, Mm. and I believed them. Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Okay, welcome to The Bridge. My name is Jason. Today, we have a special guest. Steve Weaver is a semi-retired language teacher who regularly comments on China online. Having visited China on multiple tours, he online, he likes to set the record straight on real life in China using his first-hand experiences. Welcome to The Bridge, Steve Weaver. Uh, thanks very much, Jason. It's a, a real pleasure to be here at last. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're excited to have you. Could you learn a little bit about you? What's your background? Where are you from? And stuff like that? Well, I'm uh, from the United Kingdom. currently live in Manchester up in the northwest, a little bit down from Liverpool, the, the sunny part of the UK. But I'm actually uh, a stranger in a strange land. I'm a southerner. I actually come from uh, a city down the south called Southampton, just off the Isle of Wight. Not much really to say. I'm a bit of an oddball in the fact that um, I, I actually came to teaching very late in life. And really mm. only as a result of meeting uh, a Chinese lady um, who inspired me. She came here from China to work at a local university. We met her and it just really inspired me. If prior to that, I'd run my own business doing murder mystery mm. parties. So bringing guests wow. together, that kind of thing, setting up the murder, the old Sherlock Holmes, that kind of thing. I absolutely loved it. But um, while it was a lot of fun, it's not very it's not very emotionally growing. There's not much to it. You're interacting with people, you're having a good time, but there's not a lot of growth inside it. So we seem to bump into Lee at exactly the right time. And uh, that led to us coming to China and uh, actually finding out what the place is really like. So you were an English teacher in the UK or in China? Uh, in, in England. But what I did, I purely did it online. I'm sorry. I want to ask you about the murder mystery thing, because I'm actually oh, only yeah. finding out about, I've known you for a long time, and uh, I'm yeah. only finding about, out about this now. So is this the kind of thing where you, if you had cont- continued on that trajectory, you would be into escape rooms now? No, not at all. No. I've done escape rooms right from the many years back. There used to be many programs on the UK TV about th- that kind of thing, uh, before it actually became something you go and do live but no murder mysteries i I like um the theatrical part of it i like playing the parts um that's the sort of thing that really appeals to me it was actually i've been doing it maybe about 15 years 
um, wow. since I did my first retirement. <laughs> I'm on to my, almost my second retirement at the moment. And uh, it was just such yeah. a lot of fun. But we just moved closer to Manchester to be with family. So uh, it was just sort of such thing a we unique doing here. kind of job. I've never heard of that job. That's very, uh, it's you know, actually, most people... Yeah, it's actually quite big in uh, China at the moment. It's growing. You'd be surprised. Wow. I, I didn't realize when I came over the, the second time we traveled to China in 2019, I bumped into a group of um, uh, young people who were in Guilin. Uh, they were workers at the hotel complex we were staying in, and they actually did this themselves as recreation. <laughs> they got YouTube wow. channel, everything doing it. So yeah, I was very surprised, but just shows that you can find anything in China. You know, the closest thing I could find that I found to that personally is I was in Wuhan yeah. and they have a cruise and I, it was a real cruise to go out on the river on the Yangtze. And so I, I got on this cruise assuming because I heard there's dancing and singing and dining and stuff. So I thought I would be doing the dancing. I would be doing the singing. I would be doing the dining with my wife. <laughs> we got on the cruise and we're spectators towards like a play that you walk through the play on the boat where people are dining and dancing and pretending to be an old-timey 1930s China uh, on a cruise to Shanghai. And so it was a play where all, pe all these people have lines and they're acting and they're looking at the audience and things. And I was, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was a very unique experience, but I wish I had known that was what it was ahead of time because I was very hungry by the time I got out there. I, 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 as I said, I've been doing it for about 15 years, but I made a very bad mistake on maybe the second or third one that I uh, did. Uh, just very quickly, uh, we had been booked to run a murder mystery event. So there was a few of us that were doing it at the stage at a um, a reception after a wedding. Mm. And what had happened is we hadn't realised at the time that the bride and groom weren't aware that this was going to happen. <laughs> and so we had turned up, see the mother and the father of the, the bride who had arranged all this. And we were there and, you know, we had police vests and all, you know, all the whole kit and everything. And we they had arranged with us that when they pulled up at the wedding and got out the cars, myself and my oppo, Gordon, would then go to the cars and arrest the groom. <laughs> <laughs> But of wow. course, no, they hadn't told anybody, and we were nearly lynched. <laughs> not, not surprisingly. So we quickly learned that a, a rider for every single uh, event was an absolute must. <laughs> wow. So everybody is... must know what was going to sign it off. So, yeah. <laughs> We quickly well, that's, you know, that's something you would expect for the bachelor's party where, you know, where they kidnap the groom the day before <laughs> and they throw him in a trunk, that kind of movie style thing. But during the wedding itself, I would almost assume that the bride's family would want to sue whoever. <laughs> <laughs> These things get very tense, but thankfully reception, calming drinks, everybody's happy after a while, but yeah. <laughs> So just a few months ago, I ran in. Yeah. We, I was able to see you in person in uh, San Lituar here in Beijing. You were on a trip. I don't know. Is a month long? How long were you here? Uh, we were there for six weeks. Six uh, weeks. We, so, yeah. yeah, we'd originally planned for three, but we had to cut it a bit short. Helen's sister Viv was awaiting a, a bone marrow transplant. She's got leukemia. Wow. And the time we were actually in Xinjiang at the time when we got the word that uh, the, uh, the transplant was going to take place. So we decided we needed to get back down to Guangzhou, where we had taken the, the flight from. Um, but yeah, we'd planned to be there three months. So periodically, my point is, you come to China for these kind of long 
trips, you know, most Americans, I know they have a vacation. It's a week or two, but you have these kind of long uh, semi-retired trips to China. And while you're here, you do a lot of online um, commentary about what life is like, really like in China. And I was hoping you could tell us one or two of the stories about your experience coming to China and seeing that it is not the way it's always portrayed in the West and how, in fact, you, what your experience of life in China, in fact, actually was like. To me, uh, the trips I've taken to China, it's almost like going back in time in my life, 30 years, where I would be uh, living in the United Kingdom, where things were a lot less full of animus as they are at the moment in time, where it's more a case of there's a, a slower pace of life, which seems strange when you talk about cities like Guangzhou and Shanghai and Beijing, but there's a, a quieter pace of life that both Helen and I really enjoy. It's it's a feeling as if we're, we're almost coming home. It's a mm. feeling that it's a place you will welcome. Um, mm. for, for the very moment we stepped off, the, but the very first time we arrived in China, um, this was back in 2017, we'd invited to come by a, a Chinese friend, got off the plane, and the very thing, you go through your customs as you do, go through the immigration, we're standing outside, we come out into the rival's area, and we're catching a collecting fight. Haven't got a clue where we're going, haven't got anything. Within seconds of coming out of there, a policeman comes up to us, all in black and everything like that. And of course, here's me thinking, oh, here's China, we're going to get arrested <laughs> for something or anything like that. Come, 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 ticket, show him ticket, takes us, not through the um, airport itself, but he takes us down a set of stairs, through all the administration and everything underneath it, underneath the airport, straight up into the terminal where the flight was going to be. Saved us all the finding and walking away throughs. Didn't speak a word of English. He'd just seen the ticket, seen the collecting flight, took us through. That mm. was my introduction to China. And that is China everywhere I've been. It's mm -hmm. people who have time for you. It's people who are friendly, approachable. And it's why we keep coming back. It's just mm. some of the places that we could enjoy so much. It's, as I say, it's going back 20 or 30 years where it used mm. to be in the smaller parts of the United Kingdom. But we've lost that ability to relate, relate to people. And it's still where mm. we can find it in China. Well, you know, I don't have firsthand personal experience of the UK. So um, mm. I'm not, I'm, I mean, I do of, of the United States. Certainly the 1980s versus now in the United States were different, but, you know, there was still crime and there was still drug use in both. And like, you know, there's still mm. certainly problematic times. But I mean, I guess now there's a lot more political aggression in the United States. Whereas in China, there's a lot more, yeah, there's the kind of a unity, a social harmony. Is that what you're kind Absolutely. of getting at? Yeah. yeah. What about, it's, are you talking about criminality also? Oh, <laughs> I. one of the things, I, I have never felt safer in any country. and I've traveled extensively, um, Europe, America, you name it, uh, Middle East, etc. I have never felt any place that I have felt more at home and more comfortable and more secure. And mm. it's not just a result of the fact that it's, China has an enhanced level of security, as we would see, say, in the United Kingdom. Um, it's not that. It's a fact that you can go somewhere. I can walk out at night and mm. the, the city, the city streets are full of people of all ages, of all all social types out enjoying themselves. They're going about their mm. normal business. Um, they're in the restaurants. They're in the, uh, the shops, that kind of thing. We don't have that kind of thing anymore. We've lost that in the United Kingdom. I think many other countries as well. The Chinese these people 
are sociable. They want to get about their lives. They want to be productive and do things. And that's something that we just really, really enjoy. I can go into a um, any any place in China. Uh, you will understand this, uh, especially at times we've been to Shanghai. I can go into a place in Shanghai, any restaurant and that. And you know, within 10 or 15 minutes, minimum, three or four people would have come up to you to say hello, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, mm. we, we can barely go into a restaurant in China where a, a, a couple of people will maybe send a side dish over or something like that for us to try. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it, it's that kind of friendly atmosphere that we just so much enjoy. I mean, I've got videos of Helen walking around Guangzhou, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, sitting there comparing it to where we live in Manchester at the moment in time, which mm. is a lovely spot, but certainly something we mm-hmm. couldn't do. It's a place where I have no hesitation in just advising anybody, come and see, come and try this place for yourself, you know. Um, mm-hmm. China is just a place where you can come and you can be yourself anywhere. Anybody can fit into China as long as you understand that when you come to China, park all your preconceptions at the door, take what is at face value and actually experience what's in front of you. Mm. Well, you know, I wanted to compare, like you said your first trip was in 2013. Did I get that correct? Uh, 2017, 2017, yeah. 2017. Well, you know, I was here in 2012 and I have to say that China has changed. You know, um, when I was here in 2012 to, I don't know, 2015, 16, there was a lot of pollution. I mean, this is something that the West Western media did get right. It was true that there were a lot of very polluted days in a lot of cities and there were sand, a lot more sandstorms coming in from, you know, Inner Mongolia. And that is considerably lessened now. And so, yeah. And maybe in before there there was less development. There was a lot of construction going on. There were a lot more factories, and there was more. There were more sandstorms owing to some desertification in uh, the Inner Mongolia Mongolia area. However, that has transformed, and now it's mostly blue skies in Beijing. I can't speak for every city, but there's mostly blue skies in Beijing. There are occasionally uh, smoggy days, like you get in Los Angeles, but nothing like before. And yes, maybe once a year we get a couple of days. Of of sand coming in from Mongolia. But a lot of that's changed because of afforestation and reforestation. So I don't want to like say everything was always perfect or whatever. It's not, but it's getting better. And everything is constantly getting better here in terms of the environment, in terms of infrastructure here, in terms of hospitals and, and all kinds of things like that. So I was hoping you could tell us from your personal experience, 2017 and your trip in 2023, how did things compare? Were things, you know, rosy both times or did you see changes? What changes did you notice oh absolutely yeah the uh, two major changes i noticed was that first when we uh, were in xinjiang uh, we've off, we've got to xian uh, a number of times it's uh, just absolutely amazing and uh, what Xinjiang is a beautiful city outside the walls and inside, but particularly inside the city walls that we like. And when we were there, though, we did notice there were areas that were were quite run down, uh, Mm -hmm. usually towards, say, the west part of the city, the opposite side from the children's hospital. And there were areas there that were quite run down. And even this time, we noticed that there were still. But the pace of progress 
and the um, the new building that had gone on was amazing to me. Where previously um, we had seen up towards the railway station, um, there were whole areas which were really a bit of waste ground with very little going on. There were new properties that had gone in. There were new flats. I'm not talking the high rises within the city walls. They tend to be lower rise, that kind of thing. Um, the 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 way things that have been tidied up and cleaned up was you know, it's incredible. Um, got some mm. beautiful pictures walking around the wall new neighborhoods that had gone on that was absolutely fantastic but also all the way around the outside of the city as well um the extent of the change they'd finished a lot of the renovation work that was going on on the uh, um the moat around the city at the time since we were in mm. 2019 but the new buildings that had gone up fantastic you know uh, they say China is just a place with cookie cutter buildings, you know, but fantastic new buildings that had gone up all the way around the edge of the city, you know, places that I'm thinking, do you know what? I wouldn't mind buying one of those and retiring there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so incredible. Um, but also another one was particularly that hadn't drawn my attention to was when we went to Guangzhou. Uh, Guangzhou is a city where we've got friends, so we're often down there. And up um, just across from the Liwan Gardens, one of the big parks up there, uh, there's a lot of work that's going on at the moment. And there used to be a canal that ran off from the lakes at the garden that went down to the river. And that was, uh, we had a hotel on the first time we went there in 2017, and it was next to the canal. And no, <laughs> this this is what I thought all China was like, you know, not very fragrant. <laughs> but this time <laughs> we've gone there, yeah, this time we've gone there, it, it's it's only um, 2019 since the last time we were there. So, you know, so, yeah. three years, uh, four years. And the whole canal was completely clean. The smell was gone. The um, the rubbish, the pollution, the film on the water was gone. And now it's almost completely clear water. And you can see the um, uh, the turtles swimming in it. Mm. That's just been the change in that period of time. <laughs> I want to actually share a similar story here in Beijing. There, there's a canal system here in Beijing. And uh, when I arrived in 2012, some of the canals were run down the water. I wouldn't have jumped in that. I wouldn't have drank that. There's no way. And uh, uh, there's a part that runs by this area called Solana in Beijing. But I've also bicycled all the way out to West Beijing beyond the Sixth Ring Road where the water, some of the water originates for Beijing. And uh, both in the past and recently, I was walking, I mean, I, by Solana, firstly, it's a crystal clear trash is gone, completely redone. You know, they drain, literally drained the swamp kind of thing and, you know, <laughs> fixed it up and, and put all kinds of plant uh, growth in throughout the entire system, everywhere, all the way out to the West and through the whole entire system. And I was, you know, just the other day walking across a bridge over one of these canals and I had my glasses on and it was clear. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I took my glasses off and I could see like the bottom. I could see the, the, the plants that they had put inside to essentially clean the water. One of the things that China ha now has is a river chief system. This is a new system they have throughout all rivers and all canals and all bodies of water, all lakes, all ponds in the entire country. There's someone who is legally responsible for the health and maintenance of their segment of water. So if there's a factory dumping pollution and this person is going to be in trouble for allowing that to happen with the government, there will be serious legal ramifications. And so as a consequence, all the bodies of water throughout China have dramatically improved using this river chief system. And in the major cities, I'm assuming Guangzhou is similar to Beijing, they have done dramatic things to uh, clean, clean the water up. So yeah, it's not yeah. just, you know, 
air pollution that is gone, but it's also water pollution. It's a lot of other things. Obviously, you know, China is not perfect. And, you know, China did erase like poverty uh, at what they call absolute poverty by 2020, but there's still poor people. You know, there's still people who are not like living the high life. You know, not everyone has a Lamborghini. So, I mean, you know, I'm being using hyperbole, but things are getting better for everyone. And I think that it's a, we can see that. That's what I see. You're listening to The Bridge. I wanted to ask you, you went to Xinjiang during your last trip. Yes, yep. Now, this is obviously one of those hot points where the Western media like to talk about Xinjiang a lot. So um, I've been to Xinjiang and I've already told my story. So I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what you saw. Was it a totalitarian nightmare where people were in chains? (laughs) Do you know what? (laughs) Xinjiang is my, that's Helen, my wife. It's her favorite part of China without exception. Absolutely. I got off the, um, well, we took the train up from uh, uh, Xi'an because we wanted to see the countryside along the way. You know, we, we were only there um, uh, 10 days, unfortunately. We wanted to stay longer, but we had to get back. But we wanted to go and see as we went. And just from the from the train journey itself, through the most amazing countryside, and I was sitting there and I'm seeing churches and I'm seeing mosques by the side of the train tracks as we're going. I'm thinking, well, this is not what we're expecting of China, as we're continuously told, but this is reinforcing what I have seen on my journeys everywhere else we've been. Um, right from the very moment they're getting off at the train station, um, I was expecting the most militarized city. I was expecting like uh, Belfast in the Troubles uh, back in the 1980s, you know, when we had military on the streets, we had yeah, that sort of thing. And the first thing we saw once we came out of the <laughs> came out of the train station was some police officers standing there, okay? And they were standing there handing out sweets to the children because there was a very <laughs> big crowd. Seriously, I'm not kidding you. Um, <laughs> there was a very big crowd. It was late at night. It was a Friday when we arrived and there was a huge queue for the taxis and things like that. And there, there they are. They're standing there. <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, there we go. Look at this. This is something different. This is what you don't see. And then all the way through, yeah, there is a heightened level of Security. There are. There's far more of the local security guards on uh, most of the shops you go into. There's a very visible presence. There are far more um, police stations on the corners and things like that. But I think it was best to describe by some of the people we were speaking to when they were there. They were saying that, and it was the same impression I was getting as well. That ten years ago they weren't just having a problem with the attacks that were going on. There was a high level of criminality. But what they were saying to me, and what I was seeing as well, is the fact that that has now gone it's once again it's safe to walk on the street it's safe for anybody to walk on the street i was able to walk wherever i wanted to i was stopped um twice while i was there once was to have my um uh, passport checked and if not, the other one was because i had a manchester united top because i'm probably a refugee from manchester and the chat wanted to talk about football <laughs> so and what i was struck by as well was the fact that um there were security there were police walking around and i, I saw them doing ig checks and things like that but there wasn't any tr- 
trouble. There wasn't any, uh, the people weren't walking around suddenly going, oh, here's another check or anything like that, that kind of thing. It was just another part of what was going on. Oh, somebody checked, boom, there you go, scan, finished. That was it. Uh, I could walk among the streets. Um, we talked about, as you say, the way things had cleared up and everything. I walked up past, you know, the bazaar into the neighbourhoods, you know, anywhere you wanted to go, you could. And there were whole new sections of new housing that had come in. You could see it. Um, the, you know, the work had been done. A new school here. You know, uh, a mosque that they had built in the middle of the um, uh, the residential complex. That kind of thing. All brand new. All mm. all absolutely full of people going about their business. The rows of shops open. I, I, I it was just like anywhere else in China, but there was just a more visible police presence. That's all it was. You know, it, it, in some certain places, it's. Think of like when we see um, uh, here Beijing, you know, you will see there's the the sub- ceremonial level of military and police. They're walking around in their best pit, uh, best uniforms, just like our guards do outside the palaces and everything here. It, it's a more of a ceremonial than actually. And that's really what the impression I was getting when I was in Xinjiang. You know, there are guys there that are standing to attention. Yep, they have a rifle with them. But it was more of a ceremonial. It was down to the, the more the local police you know, mm. who were walking around. They they were the ones. And it's not a case of it's all, you know, Han Chinese have taken over. The vast majority, and I mean the vast majority of the police and security personnel were um, from the ethnic minorities, uh, be it mm. a Uyghur or whichever, be it a Hui. They were that. You know, they were local people who were dealing mm. with this themselves. And that's what I was seeing. Um, all, all this about repression, I did not see it anywhere. I The people you would think would be um, very reluctant to talk to, such as you know, security guards in the hotels, because we stayed a couple while we were there. Not a hint of it. It's not a case of, um, you know, what are you doing? Where are you going? And all that kind of thing. The biggest interaction we had with the security was them giving us a cup of tea when we came in. We're carrying mm. a shopping <laughs> Uh, we became friends with them. Yeah, we, we we've got a couple that we know on WeChat that we go back to visit. Oh, yeah, come to our house. You know, yeah. If, if these are people that are hiding something, if these are people who are desperate to tell you something, you know, there's that opportunity to do that. But it was none of that. It was people who were happy to share with you and happy to share their experiences of how things mm. had improved. Uh, obviously, I have a, a quite a rosy outlook on China because I enjoy the place and I enjoy the people, but I'm not blind. And I can mm-hmm. see where there, I, I can see where there are issues. I would be worried about the presence. But my biggest mm-hmm. concern was that possibly the security was just getting a little bit too lax. <laughs> I no, seriously. Yeah. As in, yeah. uh, because they're, because yeah. they're possibly they're so used to it and they haven't had this job, they has that fit of security. Possibly the, you know, the checks when you're going somewhere aren't quite as, you know, <laughs> just possibly a bit more wave through. Of course, it's completely different from myself than it would be for, you know, a local maybe, but that was my impression that perhaps it was just getting a little bit too lax. But Xinjiang, well, I, everybody should go if they get the chance. Well, I have one last question before we move on about this topic. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, there was been shifting, uh, you know, goals on this. So it, it seems like the concept that there was some kind of, uh, you know, crimes against humanity or genocide just sort of disappeared. So a lot of the new rhetoric coming out, oh, it's a cultural genocide, right? So they're getting erasing Uyghur language, erasing Uyghur culture, erasing this. Did you, when you were there, did you see Uyghur language? Did you hear Uyghur language? Were people allowed to dress in both modern and, you know, also in uh, traditional uh, attire? 
Anywhere you look, anywhere, be it in the uh, the streets themselves. I've got pictures and videos online of the people dancing, uh, you know, wearing their traditional costumes. Also, you, you go around and you see the ladies wearing their um, their headscarves everywhere. And even the young ones as well, which I wasn't expecting. I was thinking, yeah, oh, possibly it's now just more traditional, the, the more conservative old ones. Um, no, people going in and out of their mosques. Um, you know, you, you see the imams going in and out, et cetera, and wearing their garments as they would. You go into the shops and you can go and buy you know, a traditional uh, outfit if you want to. Oh, yeah. And these are re- Uyghur businesses. Uh, <laughs> there's people are sitting in there. The signs above, you'll have you know, the Chinese, you'll have the Uyghur. Uh, even the banks, if you go, there is the Bank of China. Okay, What's going to be more monolithic and bureaucratic than the Bank of China? Bank of China, same in Uyghur above. That's mm. what it is like everywhere. Um, the people in the the parks, you know, the Chinese parks, uh, they're almost a cliche. You go to a Chinese park and you see people yeah. enjoying themselves. I was at the park this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I so miss that. Uh, I go for a yeah, morning they, walk every morning in the local park and watch the, kid, the, the old people doing Tai Chi. It's great. It's very great way yeah, to start the yeah, day yeah but no so nothing like that um i went into the the bookstores um just around the corner from the hotel was one of the big bookstores there are uh there's books there's specifically uh you know uyghur language ones there's specifically wow. uh han chinese ones that's um, the experience I, next time i go i'm going to look for that too <laughs> yeah shinwa bookstop shinwa bookstop um yeah. it's just next to where they're because they're obviously they've only got the one uh uh, metro line in the moment but there's two new ones they're building through and uh, the two lines intersect in the middle of this square which i'm afraid the name uh i mean if it's just along from the bazaar uh, but no and people were not afraid as i say to invite you to their place uh, i knew a couple of students of mine who i taught online who i was able to go and visit for the first time that's great um uh, they're yeah they're in Tulafan. so we we took the old green train down one night uh i, I love the hsr but to get to know Chinese people and see Chinese people as well and take the old trains at least once because they're just fantastic and you, you really get to see people and that. But uh, we went down there, they took us and they they said, we've got a surprise for you one morning. I have two friends, Artim and Hope, and they said, we've got a surprise for you. Okay, it's a secret, can't tell you. And so they drove us and uh, we they were taking us to the, the Flaming Mountain, uh, you know, the big tourist spot and the Thousand Buddha Grotto. And they said, oh, look, over here on the right, it's the secret prison over here and so we're driving by there's the wall <laughs> there's the tower there's the buildings and i said well, that's that's one of those prisons is it and he said no he said it's the local drug treatment place <laughs> this is where this they said, oh, that it's funny, it's, yeah yeah it's, it's it's that sort of place it is and he said this is where you know yeah there is a drug problem in Xinjiang. okay stuff coming from over the border and this is where the you know, the hardcore, the drug dealers and things like that, this is where they go through their rehabilitation and stuff like that. But this is on the main road. This is on the mm. main tourist route from, mm. you know, uh, Tulafan to the Flaming Mountains. Thousands of people, thousands of people, tourists use this every day. That's how hidden these places are. <laughs> right. They're not. This is just something. They were proud, you know, the, the people there, you know, especially our friends, Artem Hope, they were proud that they had this facility to help people because well, yeah, honestly, they know people in Manchester saying, and don't have it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've honestly been saying this because I've, I've been putting up st- some statistics, people from my own yes, home yeah. country. We have the highest rates of death by, you know, cocaine overdose, 
highest rates of death by opium overdose, highest death by a methamphetamine, uh, uh, you know, overdose. People are dying in the United States. And I was I've actually been a strong advocate for the fact that we need a nationwide system to help people with drug addictions, because throwing them in prison and then dumping them back on the street is clearly not an effective strategy for dealing with this. But I do want to ask you some other questions. When I was talking with you in San Tune in Beijing, you mentioned to me that you did not always think like this, that in the past that you had a very different conception of what China was like from your rosy colored uh, glasses that you have now. So could you walk us through what changed your mind? Yeah, it's 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 quite embarrassing, really, uh, because uh, I, as soon as I finished school, I joined the army, and uh, mm-hmm. I'd always wanted to be a soldier. And uh, I was brought up on the, uh, the the kids' comics of soldiers going out and you know fighting. The... So that's all I wanted to do. College, no, forget that. Straight in the army, and uh, went through the army, and I saw a very much uh, a, a view of the world that fitted my viewpoint, and I was happy with. Over there are the Russians. Over there are the Chinese, the bad guys, the enemies. And I never had, you know, to my shame, I never had a desire or a reason to look beyond that, you know, to look why that was or look why we looked at them that way. It was good enough for me to know that's the way it was. Okay, That's the way we were trained to be. That was the way we, we were supposed to view them. And so never looked beyond it. And that followed me through my almost my entire life. Until one day, uh, my wife met a Chinese lady at the bus stop. This was in 2015, I think it was, at the bus stop outside our house um, who needed a hand with something. Cut a long story short, we got to know her and she ended up living because she was looking for uh, a place to rent. She just arrived in Manchester and she ended up living with Helen's mum. She had a Mm. place in the house. I still had that very racist outlook towards Chinese people, which was that they were something to be wary of. They were an enemy. And so I said to Helen when she came back, I said, got to be careful. We've all know about this. We can see it in the papers. We've heard about it here. At at this stage, this is 2015. So we had seen, you know, we'd heard already about the crackdown as the papers were calling it in Xinjiang. And we were getting a very one-sided view of it. All we were getting were, you know, these poor people being downtrodden. That's all we were hearing. And so this is what I was saying to Helen. And I believed that right the way through up until the first time that we went to China. I didn't really want to go because I was thinking this is going to be nothing but trouble. I'm going to see the China that we're warned of. I'm going to see the restrictive China. I don't want to be a part of this. But Helen knows better, as they always do, your better half, persuaded mm-hmm. me we should go to China and have a see. That's what I did. First thing off the plane, as I say, we bump into the police, <laughs> the policeman. Right. That's that's a, There was none of uh, I'm a, a religious person. I actually took my um, religious scriptures with me when I went and that kind of thing. And I was terrified waiting in line for immigration because I was expecting it to be, you know, strip searched and for everything to be taken <laughs> and thrown away. And I, after all, I'd heard on the papers and uh, sorry, I heard on the TV and read in the papers that when you go there, they look through your phone and check your social media and all that kind of thing. It took me less time to get through the, the Chinese immigration than it did on the way home to get through Manchester. And I'm, that's, I'm a citizen of this country. I went into China with one hand on my wallet, one hand on my mobile phone. I was looking <laughs> for, okay, what's happening? Either the police are going to come and arrest me or there's going to be some crook, you know, because I... I had seen some of our friend um, Serpenza's videos, mm. and I had believed them. 
So I was. Do you know the no birds in China thing? I I can never get over that because I literally see birds all day every day. So <laughs> I, I I I I don't even watch his content because after that one, I was just like, oh, okay, this is just ludicrous junk. <laughs> that's that's the stage it was getting to. But th- this was the this is my second day was in China. We we got a collecting flight as I said from Beijing. We were going down to see our friends in Guangzhou, and um, uh, we got up the second day, and we decided that we were going to go and have a walk around the. City. City. Yeah. Got mm-hmm. on the metro, and which city it was, was a, it? So first time in China. Which city was it uh, yeah. that you were in? Guangzhou. Guangzhou. We got to Beijing, got a collection flight down to Guangzhou. So the second day, we were still a, a bit jet lagged and everything. Got on there, beautiful clear skies. Which you're, you're saying about the pollution? I'd read about all the pollution in China, and I'd told Helen as an asthmatic, "Oh, we need to take this, take that, take your medicine, take your mask, take everything." Beautiful clear sky. Well, full did I feel, but. We went on the metro and we took it down to, um, um, I'm afraid the name of the square forgets me. It's the square that is down by the river where they have the old building that was the first place they did the Canton Fair. I don't know because I've never been to Guangzhou. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> the local, uh, <laughs> sure. uh, my, my friend Lee's going to kill me because I can't remember the name of the square. So much. Mm. Uh, by the time we came out of the metro, torrential rain. As wow. it is so hard. Uh, and you know, it's like the metros that um, they'll have the sandbags ready at the top. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Ready to go. And we were standing there and this rain wasn't going anywhere. And uh, the metro station there comes up right in the middle of the park. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be standing with all these people. Somebody's going to pick my pocket. I, as I say, I had a terrible outlook on China. I thought, I'm not going to stand here. Anymore. I'm not going to risk it. I'm going to run. And everywhere in the parks, there's a little undercover place for the people to sing. And so there's a group of people right. singing over there. So I thought, come on, Helen, we're going to run through there, get to where these people are, dry off, and then we'll run to the shops. Helen and I got onto the path and started running along. Two little Chinese ladies got their umbrellas, ran after us, and were running along with the umbrellas over Helen and I's head. And that was the first Very thing I began to say, this isn't the place I've been told about. These aren't the people that I've been told about. Get to this concrete uh, concrete shelter. Within three minutes, we're singing songs that we've no idea. <laughs> We're so, you know, so wet. Two foreigners. Next thing you know, you're pulled in by a Chinese lady. She wants you to sing with them. That has been my experience everywhere I've been in China, without exception. I, my question is this: Were were the songs in Chinese? Because yes, <laughs> how were you? Singing? Absolutely, how yes. Were you singing I, I've no China? idea. I've no <laughs> idea what we were singing. They they all have their microphones and their their big boxes of speakers, and so yeah. they they give you they give you a sheet of words uh, all in Chinese, and you just. <laughs> You just yeah. try and catch what they're doing. It's that, and that—that's yeah. what began to tick my mind that this isn't this isn't what it was. And that's what what I began to when I was walking down the street. I I just wouldn't see the blank faces. I I would smile and then a smile would crack open. I I would go into a shop and I'd I'd try and use some language. You know, I'd try and say hello and I'd try and use a bit. I'd try and order a little something. You know, yeah. See the smiles crack open on people's faces, and that's what began to change. Interaction with the people, seeing for myself and starting to throw off those shackles that I've been quite happy to be buried under all those years. Amazing. So really, if we're going to change a lot of opinions for people, what Mm. we need is a lot of tourism to China so that people can see what China is like for themselves instead of filtered through the well-known BBC filter where they literally actually make this gray. You know, Jason, I believe that. (laughs) I've met. He he actually,
actually was one of the people they did that to. He was doing a video and he made a video, posted it online in China, and the BBC took some of his footage and grade them. So he made another video comparing the footage that they put on their media to the original footage showing that BBC literally changes the skies to gray. So yeah, it's just bizarre. I mean, we can't try. So we need more people to come to China to have the Stephen we- the Steve Weaver experience. So, you know, I'm glad that that happened for you, but we have a lot of other people that we need to also let them see China for themselves and make their own assessment. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. I know this is a, maybe a big question because you've been on quite a few trips. What cities in China have you visited? Uh, really, just the big ones. Uh, we've been to Beijing uh, every time we've come because obviously we're flying into there. Uh, Beijing, we've done Xi'an, uh, we've now Urumqi, Tudafan, uh, Chengdu, Chongqing, Guilin, Guangzhou, uh, keep going around uh, Guangdong, uh, Shanghai. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's it going around. Yeah. But you know, usually we have that much of China. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. We, we haven't still been to the three of the places that are my absolute must. I was hoping to get there this time around. Uh, One of them is Kashgar. Because mm-hmm. I, I barely scratched the surface of Xinjiang. There's so much I want to see and do there. Yeah. Um, I desperately want to go to Nanjing. That was one that was, one that I really, really wanted to go to, uh, especially seeing recently seeing your videos as well about going to the museum, the Rembrandt's Museum. Mm. There. That, that's that's something I don't think you can begin to understand China until you be, can begin to understand the history of China and mm-hmm. what China's been through, what has been inflicted upon China. Um, uh, also, I really want to go and see um, uh, up near um, Chengdu. Uh, forgive my pronunciation again, but is, there, is it the Shangshui Dui Museum? The uh, incredible oh, stylistic right. ancient sculptures. It is yeah, so, yeah. amazing. I'm here in Beijing. They have one of those masks in the National mm. Museum. So after it became really famous a few years ago, I went to the National Museum. I saw it. I was like, well, that's really cool. But then when I went to the museum that you're talking about, the Sun Xingli Museum, in Daeyang, I was just blown away. There's so many more artifacts there than I expected. And there were so many diverse interpretations, artistic interpretations of reality that I had never, my that did not exist in some other and similar form in my imagination. I'm going to do a video soon in the next week or so that's coming up just about some of the showing, showcasing some of the art in that museum from, you know, three to 5,000 years ago. And the way that they portray horses is so stunning and unique and just out of outside of you know if you've been to art galleries your whole life like i have i was still like whoa that is like you know the first time you see a jackson pollock it was just so different from everything else i'd seen it was it really is worth seeing i hope you can i can you can make that trip but you know what i wanted to mention is you say oh i've only been to the top cities and then you name like a dozen cities so for someone who does not live in china you've certainly seen a lot of china (laughs) i it's uh I, I like to go to places that um, 
I, I like to be organized when I go. And so I, I'll have the, I'm the one that does the itinerary. Helen is the one that will say to me, oh, um, what about, uh, oh, we could just take a quick trip down to Kudbing or something like that <laughs> along the way. But um, there, there were specific things within the cities that I chose that I wanted to see because they had, to my mind, such an important part in Chinese history. L- like with Chongqing, obviously being the capital during the war against you know, Japanese aggression. Mm. Then there was so much there that uh, from my military mindset that I wanted to go and see you know, the memorials, etc. And especially mm. with Guangzhou, mm. with the the way that it has uh, had to deal with the the way that uh, you know, we have been there and colonised. Every time I go, I find something new in these particular cities. So it's a hard job for me then to break away and go to the other places as well that I want to see. But there is, there is just so much that we do not understand and do not see from the Chinese viewpoint. Uh, just mm. very quickly, I, I, I learned something completely new while I was in um, Guangzhou this time around, uh, just by walking along the, the uh, walking along the front there, walking up towards Shamian Islands. There's a memorial there for a massacre that took place um, back in the 1920s when uh, you know, some people were you know, murdered by the guards at the islands because they thought they had been stealing. And then the workers had gone on strike down in uh, Hong Kong and they'd marched up to Shamian to protest. And boom, out come the guards and the soldiers from the you know, Shamian Island, killed, killed loads of them. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I came back and I was telling the people here in, in the retirement complex, this is something we've never heard about, but it's the equivalent of a, a China, say, setting up a complex in Manchester, <laughs> shooting some locals, you know, the dockers marching up from Liverpool because it's that same distance away. <laughs> you know, Manchester's a city on the you know, inside on the river. Liverpool's the one um, down the coast. Come up here and then them being shot as well. Mm. I mean, if that had happened within the United Kingdom, uh, we would have gone to war over it and we would never heard the end of it. But this mm. is something that we have gone to China and we have inflicted on, you know, and mm. this is only a, just 100 years ago and it's not the least of the things we could do, we've done. We don't know about these things that we have done because we've chosen to forget about them. And therefore, we don't see from the Chinese viewpoint why there is reluctance to do certain things, you know. So we've got to get a better understanding. Now, we can go there, but one of the things also is we need more Chinese people coming here as well. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. need to hear that there is an attitude among a lot of English people that I'm not going to go there. They have this mm-hmm. daft idea, maybe that it's uh, too expensive, it's too repressive when they won't know until they've gone. But we could do with Chinese people coming here as well to tell their story. You know, at the Confucius mm-hmm. Institutes, more at our universities. I'm not just talking students, but I'd like to see more trade delegations coming over here. People mm-hmm. who see the, the fantastic things I've been to see on myself, like the um, uh, we used to have the uh, the state circuses coming over the state valleys. And do with doing a little bit more of that over here as well so that we can mm-hmm. see it. So we don't think of China as Chinatown. Mm-hmm. That's how we think that China to us is that place that's far away that's a threat or it's this little piece over here where we can go and have a takeaway. That's all we tend mm-hmm. to think about it. So we need to not just have our people come there. We need to have some high profile Chinese people come here as well so we can see how perfectly normal they are. Like cultural delegations, business delegations 
all kinds of like, yeah, increase. Yep. I, I want that for the United States too. I don't know how it is in your country, but I'm a little concerned though for students coming to the United States because there has been an uptick in violence, not just against Asians. I mean, that's true, but there's just been a general uptick in violence in the United States. So I, I get concerned, but I, I definitely would like to see more, you know, business ties between the United States and China. So I can understand your uh, desire to also see that with the UK, especially since uh, you guys recently went through the Brexit and you could probably do with some more international business ties to help your economy kind of get restarted. So I think that would be good for you. I have a, another question though. You, you like me, are constantly in your wife's shadow. I'm, everything that happens to me, I'm always my wife oh, yeah. this, my wife said that, my wife, and, you know, I think both of us have that in, as a similar thing. Could you tell us about Helen's perspectives on China and, you know, what she gets out of these trips that you guys take? Oh, yeah. Helen's an artist. Um, she loves painting, all, all different kinds of media. She's poetry. Um, and that's the lovely thing for her because she wasn't expecting this when she went over. And so to go into the Chinese cities or go into the Chinese countryside, where virtually every region has its own form of art, being it, you know, the, the different styles of painting, the different music, the dance. Um, yeah, that's a whole kaleidoscope of uh, joy and wonder. Seriously, if, if you are if you're an artist of any form, if you enjoy this arts, if you enjoy music, if you enjoy dance, uh, China is you know however many million square miles of wonder. You can just walk anywhere you wish. I mean, we, we were sitting there in um, the Xinjiang, um, the uh, the um, I'm sorry, it's the big. Uh, the big park they have. It's just outside the city oh. now. Sorry, it's the big park. The um, uh, the botanical gardens. I beg your pardon. Sorry, mm. it gets a bit late mm. for me. The botanical gardens there, and we, we're just sitting down there, and we can just hear this uh, older gentleman. He was just sitting around the corner, and he was just doing this amazing and beautiful singing. You know, amazing. And that is the sort of thing you go anywhere. But it's the sort of thing that not only are people not afraid to go out and do. Uh, they'll go out anywhere and do it there they want to go out and share that with you so it's the place mm. where you can go and experience that if we were to do that in england we would get most probably chucked out or arrested for being drunk and disorderly yeah. what <laughs> we wouldn't I, I'm, I'm serious if if you were to go and do that they would think you're, you're going to be busking and asking for money or something like that we would be wow. told off from doing that because we would be making a nuisance there will be somebody wow. who doesn't like that kind of thing. Let's pause for a second. I have a question about that. So you're saying that a normal person like you or I couldn't just go to a public park and just decide to start singing? You would uh, annoy somebody. There would you need, be you need some a permit or something for that. No, you wouldn't need to. But we have we have a level of discourse and a level of enmity now in any form of public interactions where the slightest little thing will set off an argument or a disagreement. And if you are doing something such as singing or maybe playing an instrument in the park, 99 times out of 100, somebody will take exception to that. That's wow. the way it is. Our country has got very polarized and there will always be some... If you go to the China and you go to a Chinese road, and you'll see the, the cars, uh, you know, 
always busy. The bike's coming at you from every angle. Yeah, it's true. 10 seconds of that in Manchester or virtually any city in London, uh, sorry, any city in England, London, you know, Birmingham, Leeds, or even the small ones, 10 seconds of that would end in a fight, would end in road rage. You know, there's uh, just in Manchester yesterday, a bloke was stabbed because there was an argument at traffic lights over two cars. Wow. That is the level we have. I was actually, I was curious about this because, you know, I, I like everyone else. I, if I see a car accident, I stop, I oogle, you know, so it was two, three days ago, I heard a bam, but it wasn't like a bam. You know, you could hear the, the modernity of the cars crumpling when they hit each other. It was a mild fender bender, but you know, strong enough to where probably both of them can't drive their car uh, without looking ridiculous for the next, you know, until they've been, had some work done on them. But I was like, okay, how's this going to go? I stopped as an onlooker and was watching the people got out. And I was shocked to see both of the drivers of each of these two cars mm. get out smiling and laughing with each other about exchanging information. And I was just thinking in America, they would not be smiling and laughing about this. We are the same. We are the same. Yeah. It's not to say yeah. you don't see Chinese people having a good, a good. Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, the, saw, I saw that too today. Yeah. The, the level that we see, uh, you know, you know, forgetting to indicate or maybe a little bit of cutting off. They're used to that. Over here, that is instant war. We have in the United Kingdom <laughs> in particular, we, we go from passive to full on, you know, I'm going to kill your entire family in in oh two gosh. seconds flat. Oh Seriously, when it comes to the roads and things like that, you, you don't mess. Roads, driving and parking, forget about it. Really, um, you don't mess with that in the United Kingdom. And well, we, don't have a lot of time we don't have a lot of time left. I just want to ask you one last question before we go. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're, because obviously your perspective, my perspective is very different having spent a lot of time in China, but I'm not back in the United States. So I'm not back having these conversations with people about what life in China is really like. And you are, you're back in the UK, you're talking to people. How do normal everyday, you know, uh, British folks at the pub or whatever, or at the park react when you tell them, oh, China is a nice place. You know, people are cool there. The vast majority of that will not believe you. Unfortunately, they will not believe you. Because the way our country is, unfortunately, devolving, as it were, things are getting worse. Our level, as I say, our level of discourse is getting terrible. People are now, they have this level where it is just their life, just what they can see in front of them, the next meter. That's their concern. That's what they pull all their energy into, that next step of life. That's what it comes to with our economy, our, the way our jobs and industries work, the way our you know, hospitals, et cetera, are. They pour everything into just making that next step. And so therefore, they have very little time to worry about, as they see it, anything else that's happening in the world. And while there may be a brief burst of interest and a brief burst of concern, say, about what's happening in Gaza, or they, you know, anything else along those lines, Ukraine, very, very quickly, that then devolves back into that little square meter. And mm. our media is very good on making that bubble for people. So mm. they'll say, oh, yeah, okay, fantastic. But then their mindset goes back to that next step and that next mm. bill they've got to pay. Everything else is in effect too big for them to worry about. It's where we get maybe to the likes of 
the academia and the politicians, it gives them something to rail about and gives them something to fence in people's opinions. But I'm afraid mm. the majority of the normal people you'll see on the street, they'll have that opinion that it's just too big to worry about. And therefore, yeah. I'm not going to. I'll take your word for it. Fantastic. But I'm never going. So well, you know, you're, really a, you're a fantastic storyteller and we are out of time, but I'd love to have you back on in six months if you have the time so we could get some more ideas out of you and some more stories. I'd love to. Yeah, because the plan is I'll be I'll be back in China, hopefully, if all goes well in July. So, but I, I, maybe I was listening maybe to, could meet in person and do this in person. I'd love to. I, I was listening to a great podcast only last week, and uh, I heard this band saying, well, what you should really do is, um, if you want to know China, you should come over and maybe try living here for a year. No, it's not yeah, when you're talking to Bebe. It was you. I wish that everyone <laughs> would do that. You know, all people from all countries should spend a year in a different country. It doesn't matter which that's, country. Just yeah. We should all like go abroad for a year at some point in our life yeah. because that's, yeah. you know, even if it's not China, you know, just like, you know, the country next door. I think that would create a lot more, uh, yeah. you know. Last question, I'm sorry. Where can we find you on Twitter? What is your Twitter handle? Oh, it's uh, it, it's at Steve Weaver, T-E-F-L. I'm not sort of a, a person who's trying to build a following or anything. I, I just, I'm just a bloke on there who says things and likes it. I, you know, not yeah. influencer, nothing like that, but you know, that's <laughs> where you can find me. It's just, uh, I just right. want to talk to people about China. Thank you so much for your time, Steve. Thank you so much for your time, listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.